Mac Observer's Mac Decap, episode 573 for Sunday, October 4th, 2015. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your Send in, send in, easy for me to say, your tips, your cool stuff found, and your questions. We answer your questions, we share everything else. The goal is, of course, we all want to learn something new every time we get together here every week. Sponsors for this episode are Smile at smilesoftware.com slash geek, where you can learn more about PDF Pen 7. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Squarespace at squarespace.com slash MGG. Coupon code MGG gets you 10% off of their awesome web building tools. We'll talk about that. Of course, Linda at L Y N D a.com slash MGG 10 free days of the future of education and Harry's at Harry's.com coupon code shave five off gets you. You got it. Five bucks off your first order there here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. So I got to see you this week, John F. Braun. Yes, you did. I did. We, uh, we spent part of Wednesday together. I actually did the crazy thing and did the round trip in one day. Uh, yeah. well, I just wanted to get home. I, you know, you know how it is sometimes because I'm coming back down in like two weeks. So I had, I had stuff to do in the office on Thursday. I needed to see my doctor about my wrist, which is healing up very well. I should be done with the splint in, uh, in about a week, which is awesome. But, uh, Yeah. But we had a uh, we had a good time, you know, on the on the ride home, John, I had a I had a long ride home that started at about 11 p.m. I had about a three, three and a half hour ride home from your place. And uh, and I told you last week in our Cool Stuff Found episode that I or our Cool Stuff Found segment that I really liked that Ready Player One book by Ernest Klein. Well, I realized on the train ride home to, or the train ride to your house that the sequel, not the sequel, his next book is already out. It's called Armada. and it was on Audible and Will Wheaton read it. So I listened to Will Wheaton tell me about uh, uh, the story of Armada for three and a half hours on the way home. And it kept me totally awake and engaged. It was awesome. Shut up, Wesley. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. uh, we love Will. But um, yeah. Yeah. So it's now October. So you now have permission to um, talk about Halloween stuff and display it. Uh, they already did that a month ago. Yeah. And the Christmas stuff is probably out. Well, the Christmas, there were Christmas trees at Pepcom, which was the event that you and I went to. On. Well, that, that in their defense, that's a holiday-themed event. So I'll, I'll let them get away with it, but... That's right. No, it is. Retailers, they, they do these events. Them. They do these events to, to, press, to prep us, the press, for, uh, for all the stuff that vendors are going to come out with for the holidays. And we saw a lot of cool things. I don't. I don't know if I have anything to mention yet that I saw there. I might, but uh, but certainly over the next couple of weeks we will, as we kind of dig in a little bit more. So mm-hmm. it's good stuff. So El Capitan came out this week, my friend. How uh, how did that go for you? Surprisingly well. Um, I I did an upgrade install, not a fresh install. Okay. Uh, worked fine on the MacBook Pro. The things um, that I knew 
I needed to update, updated fine, and they yep. were working okay. As I mentioned, there were some things that weren't quite working. So, you know, I made sure to upgrade iStat menus, which oddly this time around came up and the calendar said, oh, can I access your calendar, please? I don't know why, because I had it set up like that in the past. Yep. I'm not sure why that was the only component that explicitly said, hey, is it okay for me to do this? Sure. Uh, little snitch, you know, they upgraded their product. Um, I guess the only ones that are missing... You know, until version five is default folder and uh, and total finders got out of the picture now because I don't want to turn off that uh, system integrity protection. Um, even the migration to mail went okay because, you know, most of the plugins, I upgraded them before. Right. I upgraded. So, of course, whenever you make a major or even sometimes a minor uh, OS upgrade on uh, OS 10, there's the potential for mail to not work again. Right. Yeah. Well, the mail plugins. Yeah. Mail plugins are right. very... Mail has built Apple has built mail to be very sensitive. Plugins have to be explicitly certified by the developer to be compatible with the existing build of mail. And so, yeah, like you said, John, even a like a dot X dot one upgrade could and often does change the version of mail, even though it doesn't change anything specific or 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 uh, significant with it. It's still they they were still require it. And for good reason, because Apple, there was a time when Apple did not do this. And you had these mail plugins that were just left, you know, collecting dust, but people could still run them. And it caused all kinds of weird problems. And so that's why Apple said, fine, you know what? Uh, It's no big deal for a developer to just go in, check their plug in, make sure it's working. And if it is just push out a very, you know, small update that just adds this version of mail to a little P list file that's baked in. That's all it does. And, uh, and you can hack these yourself too, by the way, but we don't recommend it. Um, although that's what GPG tools does, right? It has a little startup item that checks the current version of mail when your machine starts up and takes its identification and puts it in the GPG mail P list file. So it's like self healing, they call it. Um, with OS updates, but um, yeah, yeah, and I think one thing that got lost in the translation almost. Let's see, no, it's there. So for some reason, one of my addresses when I tried to reply after it, because uh, it also does a little. You'll see, mail says, you know, I'm upgrading your database and right. compacting it and optimizing it and all that great stuff. And then I tried to reply to somebody, and my reply address was not the address that it was addressed to, and I'm like, well, that's kind of weird. Yeah. Well, I think what happened is that so, so now and I think this is new or they renamed it or restructured it. But now if I if you go to your various mail accounts within mail, you'll see an alias selection. For some reason, one of my aliases didn't make it over. The way you used to have to do it is put multiple. So I think this is more iOS like because I don't recall it being like that in the last version of mail. It, it was explicit alias or, or maybe something just OK. The, I, something just got munged when. Because one of them was missing. I have an email address that you know has a, an alias that I used to have yeah. from line. What I saw when I updated to mail, and I think, I think we both experienced results of the same thing, was that some of my accounts kind of came through. I think what's happening is your mail accounts sync with iCloud, and the El Capitan update pulled in some of that data that that you had like maybe changed or whatever that didn't get synced back to iCloud. That mail account iCloud syncing thing is imperfect at best. 
And I think mm-hmm. what you're seeing, and I, I saw something, but it was related, but not exactly the same. And I think it's all, I think it's all come, comes from that. Uh, I saw accounts reappear that I have not had on that machine in, you know, huh. a year. And, and it was like, oh, you need the password for this. It's like, oh, no, I don't think so. You know, but they're still living out there in iCloud. So I, I think that's, and I think you're seeing the same thing, right? It synced down a copy of your mail account that just didn't include that alias and it overwrote what you had on your machine. Right. So. So double check your mail settings. Something, some things may be amiss. And my signatures were kind of uh, a little bit scrambled. Barfed up. Yeah. I saw, I had that same problem. Yep. Yeah. Well, I had to redo my signature profile uh, mappings. Yeah. John and I both use a uh, piece of software called signature profiler, right? That's what it's called, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. From, uh, from from scott little at little known software inc and what it does is it allows you like john said if you have multiple addresses assigned to a given email account you would normally only have one signature because it's at one signature per account but what signature profiler does is lets you have a different signature for each from address even if they're all tied to one email account um, which is very very cool and very helpful for for a lot of reasons, John and I wind up using it uh, for various reasons. But but you know we have the two Mac Geekab addresses. We have feedback at macgeekab.com and premium at macgeekab.com. And we I want my signature to be different from each of those, and so therefore uh, this software works great for that, and it automatically takes care of it. But like John said, there was there was a little uh, there was a, I don't know. Signatures. I just had to reset my default signature for each of my accounts, and then and then it all worked. Then it picked up the the signature profiler stuff. Anyway, mm-hmm. right? Um, I did run into something else, John, that I don't think was related to El Capitan, but I, I I wanted to mention it anyway in case anyone else has seen it because I have heard from others that have, and that is when. Uh, when I went to run Skype, I I have Skype on my main machine downstairs set not to auto update. And I'm not exactly sure why I did that. I think it was more just to kind of be aware of when this was going to happen. And uh, so I was still on Skype 7.9 down there. And we use Skype for, you know, voice conversations throughout the day uh, with the various companies. 7.13 is the release version of Skype, I believe. And Skype 7.9 would not run for me on uh, when I updated my office iMac to El Capitan this week. So I thought, well, okay, I'll just update to the release. You know, I'm way behind on this. No problem. And, and it worked and it came up and I went into my uh, Skype audio video settings and I saw that my, I use a Rode podcaster downstairs uh, as my microphone. And, uh, and I saw that that was still configured in Skype. And uh, when I talked into the microphone, I saw levels show up in the Skype preferences. I'm like, okay, great. And then I made a phone call. And the people on the other end couldn't hear me. And I thought, well, this is weird. And I went in and now it shows nothing. And so I hung up the call and it showed nothing. And I quit Skype and I relaunched and sure enough, it showed levels. So as soon as a call started, it was doing something where uh, the microphone would not work. And so I lived for a day on the internal mic and the Mac and everything was fine. And then I started troubleshooting. And what I realized was my Rode Podcaster was plugged into a USB hub and has been for years. And as soon as I plugged it into an internal USB port on the Mac, it started working again reliably. So clearly there was something about 
something, either the El Capitan update, which I have since ruled out or Skype, which I have since ruled in because other folks uh, on the TMO staff are like, oh, yeah, I had to deal with that a month and a half ago. And it was when they updated their Skype to whatever the latest version is. So something about the way Skype is addressing the microphone makes it not happy through a hub or at least many hubs, because we all kind of have different ones that that does not happen when it's connected directly. And these are all this was a powered hub for me, so it shouldn't have been a power issue, but it may well have been. And then John Martellero said something very interesting. He said, why not try it on a Thunderbolt based USB port? Because I have a Thunderbolt dock attached to my machine. I have one of the uh, currently one of the OWC Thunderbolt 2 docks attached to my Retina iMac. And I plugged it into that. Works totally fine. So the lesson here, the kind of meta lesson, is remember that when you plug in a USB hub to a USB port on your computer, you are taking one USB bus and then sharing it amongst multiple devices, right? That's what a USB hub does. When you plug in a Thunderbolt USB hub, if you will, and of course this hub does more than just Thunderbolt, more than just USB. It does, you know, they, it does everything, right? Gigabit Ethernet and all this other stuff. It actually adds a USB bus directly to your motherboard because that's what Thunderbolt does. Is it? It's it's like plugging a you know the old style plugging in of a card into your motherboard. So adding the USB bus and then still plugging directly into that bus, which is off the Thunderbolt dock, works totally fine. So again, it was it was one of those kind of aha moments. And, and we know this and we've talked about this on the show since Thunderbolt came out. But it was, you know, a real world reminder of the fact that Thunderbolt is one step closer to the motherboard than anything else you plug into your Mac. So I, I wanted to share that here because it, it is sort of one of those. It's even easy for us geeks to forget, even though we preach it all the time. So interesting, huh, John? Indeed. You're not messing with Thunderbolt yet. Is that right? No. Okay. No, I have it on the MacBook, but I don't have any Thunderbolt peripherals as of yet. Got it. Got it. Um. Well, let's see what else. There, there all kinds of stuff happened this week. Oh, you know, I want to talk about, um, I, I want to talk about uh, something that I saw. I, I mentioned that I was out in Santa Barbara uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and the reason that I was out there was I was meeting with the folks from Sonos. And I think I talked about that. Uh, but I couldn't really talk about what it was that I learned out there until this week. And 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 there's one thing in particular that they announced. They announced two things on uh, on Monday night of this week that we that we got to see and check out while we were out there. One of them is their new upcoming uh, replacement, if if that's the right word to use, Play Five speaker, which is their flagship speaker. And this thing is, uh, I mean, it's gorgeous, and it. In in their rooms, it sounds fantastic. I can't wait to test it out at home. And that's really when I'm going to take more time and talk about it, both on this show and I'll write an article on TMO. But they've done some really cool things. They added a multi-touch sensor to the top of it as opposed to buttons. So they have a lot more flexibility with what they can do. But they were kind of crazy about the way they did that because they've always said we have to leave the sound stream alone so that you get sound as the artist intended. Uh, but... They also needed audio feedback for when you tap the buttons on the top because there's no 
no tactile feedback. They tried a haptic sensor. They didn't like the way that 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 worked. So uh, they've actually created like a second stream of audio that they can overlay without messing with the original. It's really these pe- these people. One thing I learned while I was out there is these people are nuts. They're like Apple, right? This is a company of twelve hundred employees that has that makes like six products, right? And they're successful and profitable. So, uh, you know, and they make more, there's more than six SKUs because they have different colors of different things, but it, you know, it's, it's a small number of products and they're just obsessive about getting it right and doing what makes them happy, which is cool. Uh, so th- the play five was one of those things. And we'll, t- and I said, as I said, we'll talk more about it. Uh, once I, once I really get to experience it in, in a comfortable and, and familiar environment, it was comfortable at Sonos. It just wasn't familiar. Uh, but what I really want to talk about, John is true play. Because this I have tested out in a comfortable environment, and I've been doing it all summer. True Play is an awesome mix of what Sonos speakers can do and what your iPhone or iPad can do. Because the idea is you take a speaker, any speaker really, and put it in your house somewhere. Your house is not acoustically designed. Chances are, right? And even beyond that, you're probably not placing these speakers in the exact right spot and at the exact right angle for your room. And therefore you're not getting the best sound that you could ever get out of that speaker in that room. The speaker's giving you decent sound, but your room plays a huge role. Um, and as someone who constantly is tuning rooms for, you know, sound, uh, 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 equipment like when, when I go play with my band, I'm the one that has to go and EQ the room to make sure there's no feedback and that the sound is pure and and there's all kinds of things in a room that you have to account for. But this is a, I mean, it, a it's an art and it takes a lot of knowledge and I only have like 10 percent of it, but I hack through it anyway because somebody has to at, at these gigs that I play. But it, to expect anyone, when including me, who's placing a speaker in their home to just do it right is crazy. So Sonos doesn't. Sonos has built this TruePlay technology that uses the microphone in your iPhone to sample what the speaker sounds like in the room. And it plays some test tones out of it. It's about a minute long process. Actually, I think it's 45 seconds. And you do this crazy thing and they show you a video to show you what to do. But you kind of wave your iPhone or iPad up and down slowly as you walk through the room. And it samples, you know, the, the, the sound from the room, but it knows what's coming out of the speaker. Cause it's this weird, it's like this choo choo wet laser kind of sounding test tone. And then it adapts the EQ of your speaker to make it so that the sound you get when you're out in the room is the sound that you should be getting. And I've tested, like I said, I've been using it all summer. It's awesome. It there, there were things about my Sonos units, especially being a, an audio geek that I always wanted to tweak and mess with. And I couldn't because Sonos only has treble and bass controls. I always said to the guys, I'm like, I want a graphic EQ. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You and you and all the other audio files get out of here. You know, they, they, they just, they, they don't want to create, they don't want to give you the opportunity to really screw up your sound. And again, it's very Apple like, and I appreciate that about them. I just wanted the graphic EQ for me. And it was like, don't you have one hidden somewhere? Isn't there some secret buttons I can push? They're like, yeah, there are, we're not going to tell you what they are. So, um, but this true play really solved all of that for me. And in addition to that, it did some cool things. I like, I have a play one, a Sonos play one in my, in my bathrooms. And I like to listen in my shower, but you know, with a shower door between you and the speaker, that's basically a low pass filter, meaning no high, pa- high frequency sounds will get through it. So I stood in my shower and I tuned 
the, you know, the room without leaving the, the shower. And it totally made it sound amazing. Uh, it really, it's quite something what they've done. So, and it, and this is coming out for all, uh, all Sonos owners. You don't have to have the new hardware. You can have the six year old play five, the old play five that's being replaced and it works great. So I, as you can tell, I'm pretty excited about it, but, uh, it's, I just love that, that they do these things with the, with the technology. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's awesome. We've, and, and what's also awesome is that the microphones in the iPhones are consistent enough for them to issue like a profile. And it's like, okay, this is, we know the mic in the iPhone six is, does this. We know the, the mic in the iPad, you know, mini three sounds like this and they can totally do it. Androids are not having the same luck and they don't do true play for Android yet. They will, they're working on it, but they've found that, the same model phone on different carriers has a different microphone profile. And even then it's not really consistent. So yet again, Android is showing to be a mess, but it's fun stuff. So I had to, I had to share it should be coming out soon. They didn't tell me when it was going to be released other than shortly, but I think it's really shortly. If I had to guess and it true, that part truly is a guess. They didn't, they wouldn't even share that with me off the record. And I don't blame them because otherwise I'd, you know, probably try and tell you. So it's good stuff. Pretty cool though, huh, John? I'd have to hear it. Yeah. To draw a conclusion. I yeah. see what they're trying to do. So they listen for you and then they, they EQ the sound uh, based on what you now. Do you choose the result or is this just one size fits all? I mean, you say I want, you know, thumpy bass or. Well, that, yeah, that's, so that's a good question it, because, um, they, the true play thing gets the speaker to a baseline, right? To what they would have set it at the factory in your room. Like if they could have and Giles Martin, who's actually the son of, of George Martin, the, the Beatles producer, he's, he's there. Like he heads up the audio experience team there. And so you get what him and his team have decided is the right thing, but you still have trouble in bass control. So you can tweak from there. Uh, to your liking. And I actually do like a notch or two of bass more than, than the Sonos thing. And, and Giles actually said to me, he's like, you know, you're not alone. We might actually, before we release it, we might, we might have actually boost that. Cause we're seeing a lot of other people do that. Everybody wants so, more bass. Yeah. Yeah. And just, uh, just to be more bass. I do. Well, yeah. I, you know, I like more bass just to be clear. This is, uh, this is me talking about this. Cause I want to talk about it. Um, somebody in the chat room asked if this was an ad and no, not, it's not Sonos does not, uh, does not pay us. They should though. They should advertise on this show, but uh, or they could, I would happily take them, but obviously, but no, this is just me being excited about uh, this thing that I've been using all summer and, and finally can tell you folks about. So it's fun. I love it when they've like technology gets used together like this. It's freaking awesome. Speaking of ads though, I, uh, I think it's time to, uh, you know, we, we should, uh, I want to do some ads. Is that good with you, John? Uh, I want them too. You sure you want them, John? I think so. Our sponsor, Smile, at smilesoftware.com slash geek, makes some of my favorite Mac and iOS utilities. This month, I get to tell you about PDF Pen 7. Additionally, one of my favorite podcasters, David Sparks, a.k.a. Mac Sparky, has worked with Smile to create some videos that show you exactly what you can do with PDF Pen 7. True to its name, PDF Pen 7 is built for you to manipulate and manage 
all your PDFs. David Sparks has made videos to show you how to annotate a PDF, add a signature to a PDF, fill in forms on a PDF. You can touch up images in a PDF. You can perform OCR, optical character recognition, on the text in a scan document, turn it into a PDF, and edit that scanned text. Pretty awesome stuff. You can use iCloud and Dropbox to sync your PDFs with PDF Pen for iPad and iPhone, additionally, with all your other Macs, and you can correct and redact text in there. All the things I just mentioned, you can learn from David Sparks' videos. Visit smilesoftware.com geek to learn more. These videos are fantastic. PDF Pen Pro lets you do even more, including adding fill-in forms. Yes, your own fill-in forms right to the PDFs that you make. This stuff's fantastic. You got to check it out. Smilesoftware.com slash geek. That's always going to show you what they're highlighting for you, our Mac Geek Gab listeners. In addition to PDF Pen, you got to check out their other stuff. Text Expander's fantastic. Uh, everything. Disc label. It's all fantastic. Check it out. Smilesoftware.com slash geek. The home of PDF Pen. Once you use this, you're never going to go back. You never. Because why would you? You want to have it. Smilesoftware.com slash geek. Our thanks to Smile for sponsoring this show. Linda at lynda.com slash MGG. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash MGG. is where you can go to learn, well, frankly, just about anything. It's pretty amazing the stuff that they have there. I started digging in to Linda. You know, they've been a sponsor for a while, and I wanted to learn more about what they did. We know that they cater to programmers. We know that they cater to design professionals, right? We know that they cater to business professionals or folks that want to be any of those things. In fact, we have Mac Geek Gab listeners who have turned their entire careers around. We've got several folks out there that have written in and said, yeah, I became a web developer because of the things I learned from Linda after starting to hear them on your show. But what if you want to learn other stuff? Like, what if you want to learn about how to use Facebook? I know that sounds crazy if you already know how to use Facebook, but what if Facebook is something you don't quite understand? Check it out. They've got a course. Watch the online video course up and running with Facebook. It's two hours long. It's going to teach you everything about just using Facebook. That's pretty cool. Learning the lingo, building your friends list, exploring the newsfeed. This stuff is not the easiest stuff to figure out. Sometimes they make it difficult. Uh, you know, you want to learn time management fundamentals. Online course about time management, finding your personal motivation. They've got one, understanding the principle of time, debunking the myth of multitasking. These are things that are really helpful in terms of just personal development. You know, I haven't been able to play my drums in a while, but I have been watching some Linda courses that just keep me involved in music. I watched one, Music Theory for Songwriters, The Fundamentals. This is pretty cool. It's taught in a really easy way. I've known, I know a lot about music theory. I learned stuff from this course. Uh, it, it's absolutely fantastic. You gotta, you gotta check this stuff out. Ever seen those DJs use that software for the Mac called Ableton Live? Well, they've got a course here. How to do that. That's not to say you're going to go out and become a professional DJ, but it's cool stuff to be able to mess with. You gotta check this out. Lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A.com slash M-G-G. Search for your hobby and they will have a course to help you develop yourself. 
Again, lynda.com slash MGG gets you 10 free days of their awesome training videos. After that, it's just 25 bucks a month. My thanks to Linda. John, with that, I think, I think it's time to answer some questions. What do you think? I think you're right. All right, sweet. Let me, uh, let me pull up John's question here. John, I love this. He says, I have an automator application that is saved in my dock. How do I change the icon of this app and have it look good on my retina display? I'm basically looking for something catchy and purple. I purchased an app called Icon Slate, but I can't figure out how to do it. So once you've got an icon that you or an image that you want and uh, and icons are interesting images. If you're actually going to create an icon there, they actually come in different sizes and uh, and and levels of sizes. But OS 10 is pretty good about this. And it will create all those sizes if you give it a image to start with. And the way you give it an image to start with is you copy your desired icon image to the clipboard. And I would do a very large image, you know, in, in, in John's email, he said 500 pixels. I'd actually go larger. I think I'd go 1024 or maybe even 2048. But um, it's square is what you're going to want for an icon uh, if that wasn't obvious. And maybe it wasn't. And then you copy it to your clipboard. You go into the finder, you do a get info, uh, by hi- you highlight whatever it is you want to give an icon to. And this could be an application, this could be a, uh, a folder, or it could be a document file, of, and a document of any kind, you know, an, an automator action, uh, a Word document, an audio file, anything, right? And, and I say audio file because this is, this is how we get, sort of, how we get the, it's how we could get the icon, the Mac Geek Cab icon into each episode of the show. And so you highlight it, you go to the file menu and choose get info. And then in the upper left hand corner, you will see the icon that is there. And it might just be a generic icon. Go ahead and click that and it will light up. Go to the edit menu and choose paste and it will paste the icon in and then you're good to go. It's that simple. Uh, You can do more than that if you really want to create custom icons um, and create all the different levels of it and all that. You can go nuts with it. But, uh, but this is the easiest way, especially for what you're talking about doing, where you've got some, some thing that you've created that you just want to see nicely on your screen. That's totally the way to do it. And you can even, you can copy from here too, right? So if you go in and you want to take an applications icon and use it for something like, uh, you know, if you want to use the iTunes icon with something else to show like Godzilla eating iTunes, because it's your, it's your going to be your, your everlasting wish that something eats iTunes and and replaces it. uh, Then you could do that, right? Go and copy it and boom. Now you've got the iTunes icon in all of its high res glory that you can use in any piece of software you want. So it goes, it goes both directions. Pretty cool, huh? Right, John? Yeah, I've, I've, uh, I've done that often. Yeah, it's fun. I remember they used to be separate icons. They used to, or when you, when you were building an application, you could, uh, often peek inside an app and see all the different sizes that were optimized for different displays. It was in the, the resource fork of the file in the old, 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 old days, but you know, fun yep yep all right you want to take us to rick john i've been doing I'm enough talking take for a while rick yeah you have holy cow we're, we're gonna fix that Good. so um all right so rick writes in and says i heard you talk about the t-link archer c9 that was me 
I'm looking to replace an old Airport Extreme with the Archer C9. I have an Airport Express, which I'm using as an extender. Will Airport Express still work? If it does, will devices such as the 802.11ac Apple TV choose the Archer or the Airport, be it a lower, uh, it being at a lower 802.11 standard? Here's the sad news. I thought this would work, Dave, and it's supposed to, but it doesn't. I'm not, I'm not angry. I'm just bitter, but um, <laughs> sounds like it. So I just got the same setup. So I had, because I, I suspected that the, uh, well, I had a um, airport extreme 802.11 N, I think fourth generation, maybe. <clears throat> so not the latest, uh, still 802.11 N, but I decided to replace it with the Archer TP link, which is 802.11 AC. Um, but I also have an airport express. And uh, once I brought the, the Archer, Online, I basically disabled that, figuring I would mess with it later to see if I even really needed it. And the coverage on this thing is fine, so I don't even think I need the extension. Sure, sure. What I did, so with the airport, and, and note this is the Express that I have. So I also have the smaller eight, uh, Airport Express 802.11 and second generation. Okay. Which I would use to extend and to offer AirPlay. So the thing is, if, if you want to set it up as new, uh, there's a reset button on the back. You hold it down and after a number of seconds the led on the front will blink uh rapidly in yellow saying okay now i'm reset and then you can run airport utility and go through it and it says oh okay well what do you want to do with this actually i gotta say that the airport is still very nice if you have apple equipment in setting things up the right way because um in the past what it would do is say oh you got an airport extreme well that means you want to extend your network right well it did the same thing here but it couldn't find its old friend so it still came up in a mode saying hey what do you want to do with this? You want to add to an existing network? And they say this in our language, this means join or extend. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, you'll make the right choice. <laughs> well, it, well no, at it, times it that's true. That's right. Yeah. Well, it made the best decision it could. So the thing is their extending technology, which I thought was standard, is not. And their documentation confirms this. So, uh, yeah. So first I, I ran the assistant. And it went through the motions and then I looked and I'm like, huh, it doesn't seem like it did an extension. Um, but it showed up as airplay and I'm like, that's weird. And so then, you know, I double checked and I looked at my Archer and it, sure enough, it showed that the Airport Express was now a client, which is different. So it's not an extension. It actually joined the network and it said, oh, and by the way, I guess you'd like to see your airplay speakers, which are connected to this device. And I'm like, yes, I did. Nice. So. The message here, and, and then Apple explicitly states this. You've got to look at their, their wording here. I mean, they, they say that you can, in the documentation itself, it says, oh, you can use this to extend an existing Wi-Fi network. And it says, if you already have a wireless network in your home and you want to extend it, Airport Express can help. Just place it in range of your primary base station. Here's the important part. An Airport Extreme, Airport Time Capsule, or another Airport Express. So they explicitly say in their documentation, it's only going to extend with other Apple products. That was not immediately obvious to me. So what do you want to do if you do want to wirelessly extend? Um, and I can offer a couple of suggestions. So I have seen, um, and I actually know people that are happy with these. So TP-Link themselves make some extenders, and I guess their highest end is called the AC70 Wi-Fi range extender. I have not personally used it. I, I do know at least one of my uh, friends who recently uh, was 
fiddling with the Wi-Fi in his house said, yeah, I got one of these and, and you know, it worked. It extended the signal to another room. Um, the other one is bear extender. Now finally uh, released theirs. I think it's called the bear extender edge. And that's another one. Again, it's an extender. Um, I just mentioned these two because I, I have received positive feedback. Sure. Uh, well, on the AC750, on the TP-Link one, I know of at least one where, where people have nice things to say. And if you check the reviews online, they're, they're also pretty positive. Uh, the Barrick Center th- Edge, I'll mention because they tend to know what they're doing. And though I haven't actually used their product, I, I use their other product. Right. And I'm happy with it. They're Turbo. So I'll mention that. And I'm, I'm pretty sure they have a money back and all that stuff. And it's not terribly expensive. So... Um, I know your preference, Dave. So I, I just want to mention, I understand that wireless extenders are the least, uh, they get the job done, but not in the best fashion or, right. or in the most, uh, you, you will not get the best. I'll just wrap it up right now. It's they're easy. Wi-Fi extenders are easy, but you're not going to get top notch, uh, optimal performance just to let you know. So but don't you, be disappointed you- if you don't get full speeds. Because the way the wireless extension works, you you probably never will see the maximum speed, but you will get a signal if that's your goal. Then then cool. But um, you may on, get friend. a signal. I you know I've I because I've tested these things, um, and I continue to test them. Not not as often, uh, certainly not as as recently as you have, John. But my issue with it is, you're taking. You're putting the extender at the edge of the range of the existing base station. And so you're taking a crappy signal and echoing it. And by echoing it, you're actually often impeding the original signal because most of these wireless things don't have two radios in them. They, they typically have one and they so so and they extend on the same channel. It's not just the same SSID. It's the same channel. And then you wind up with, you know, it makes it worse. I have I have never seen a setup where if you take the wireless extender out, things are actually any different. Uh, it At best, you, you're right. You do get range, but the throughput is so low and so spotty that it's just not worth it because the extender itself is having trouble connecting and getting any signal from the, the base station. Now where that is not true is when you've got a dual radio or even a tri-band uh, radio, you know, router that you're using as an extension access point, And you use one of the bands as your back channel and then the other as your broadcast, right? So let's say you have uh, you know, a router with both 2.4 and five gigahertz and it is flexible enough. Like, you know, the net, the net gear stuff that I, that I recently checked out that their extenders do this right where it uses one of the channels as the back channel. So like plugging ethernet in, right. And it doesn't rebroadcast on that channel. So it might be the five gigahertz that it uses as the back channel, if it can reach, or it might be the 2.4 and then uses the other channel to broadcast in its area that can be actually work quite well. And I, and I said as much when we checked them all out. Um, so that, that's, it's just worth looking into that, but doing it, doing one of these cheap extenders that does it on the same band and channel, it's it's just never going to work. Um, not in a way that you're going to be happy with. So, so be aware, just be aware that, uh, you know, that that's how this stuff is 
it works. It, you're often better moving the extender. If you're going to do this, move the extender a little bit closer to your main router so that it can get a decent signal and then broadcast it further. That's that. If you're going to do this, you got to stop and think about, you know, network design. Don't put it in the room where you have no signal, put it between the original router and the room where you have no signal. And that might get you there, but it's a, it's a bandaid solution unless you're doing it with the, the dual radios and that kind of thing. And then, it, and then it can work Then it can really work. And Apple stuff to their credit, I believe when work, when used with other Apple stuff, will do that dual band thing most of the time. I think. Do you know that? Do you know, John, one way or another? No. Okay. No, it's just transparent to me. When there's stuff extended, it just extends. Yeah, well, that's it. Yeah, but, but take a look and see how it's, you know, see what it's extending. No, I know what you're saying. You know what I'm and, saying? Yeah. Uh, yes, and the thing is extending on, uh, so there are kind of two classes here. So extending on, 802.11n typically um, just because of the older technology, I think typically you're going to run into the, as you pointed out, congestion issues because you know, the number of streams available, whereas these newer, like for example, the TP link one says, Hey, you know, we can do this with 802.11ac in which case I would almost assume that multiple radios, radios and data streams are being used in those scenarios. That's so. right. Yeah, exactly. 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 So it's better. And of course, yeah, don't be on the edge. I, I think that um, that may sound counterintuitive. It'd be like, well, I got to get to the very edge to yeah. get the most potential range. No, as you said, yep. you know, put the extender as close as to the original source as possible. We'll, we'll uh, should help. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I'm trying to remember which one it was that, that we tested here. Was it the EX? I think it was the Netgear EX 6200 and, uh, it's AC and all that stuff. It, that if if it wasn't that one, it's it's very similar to that. So we'll we'll put a link to that one in the show notes. Uh, I know uh, listener Kaz has used that one and likes it quite a bit. So we'll we'll put that in the uh, right. in the old show notes here. So all right, uh, along those lines, though, Lauren wrote in and asked. I recently moved into an apartment and got Time Warner cable. And uh, for internet only, uh, and I purchased my own router to save the rental fee. However, my Wi-Fi range does not quite reach the bedroom in my apartment. So I'm wondering if you have an inexpensive but effective recommendation for a Wi-Fi extender. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it basically, you know, two sides of the same question here uh, to, to shortcut to it. I'd go with, you know, I like Powerline because it's using a completely separate band. It's using your wiring the electrical wiring in your house to get the signal from one uh, router to the access point. And then that frees up your Wi-Fi band and does let you go further. So with, with power line, what I recommend is get your, put your access point in a place where you have no signal from the other router. And hopefully you do want some overlap uh, once they're both on so that you can kind of move from one area to the other. You know, if you think of them broadcasting in a circle, and of course things are going to impact that circle, like walls and, and ductwork and all that good stuff. But if you think of them, you know, you kind of want them overlapping. You know, think of it like a Venn diagram, and you want a little bit of overlap uh, so that you don't have any dead areas in your house. But uh, but do that. And and what's cool is, I guess I'm back to Netgear again because they do a lot of this stuff. They have a power line kit, and power line's really easy. You just plug 
things into, you plug these little units into outlets, one near your router, one near your access point, and then uh, and they have Ethernet cables coming off of them. But here's the cool part. If you don't have another access point already, you can buy the Netgear for 70 bucks at Amazon. It's the Netgear Powerline 500 and N300 Wi-Fi starter kit. So what it is, is one end, it's just the adapter with an Ethernet port. You plug that into your router. The other end, it's adapter with an Ethernet port that also has a Wi-Fi access point in it. And it just broadcasts from the little wall warp. So you don't need another router. It makes it super simple and it's 70 bucks. It doesn't get any simpler than that. So that's, that's, how I, uh, that's how I recommend it. Most homes will deal with power line. Um, some will not. And that's when you got to go back to the, the wireless extensions or, uh, you know, something like Mocha, which is power, uh, Ethernet over coax cables. And a lot of us have coax cables in our home. So there's, there's other solutions for you. It's good stuff. But I like this power line with the wireless right there. It takes a lot of the configuration out of it, a lot of the headache, and even a lot of the wires. It's good stuff. What do you think, John? Um, I think we're going to have problems with wire technology very soon. Yes, I think you're right. Uh, so we'll go, to, uh, we'll go to Helma here because it seems to be a networking episode or at least an internet related episode helma writes i'm desperate and running out of options i do hope you can help me i have an internet connection from the largest dutch cable provider there's only one choice here and when it works all is fine however every now and then there the connection drops it's often just a minute and then the connection returns but it's enough to quit any skype call the setup is that all computers are connected to my airport extreme tower with wired ethernet the airport extreme is connected to the modem the modem is set to bridge because of this, and the modem was recently replaced by the cable provider. Okay, so that means that Helma's uh, cable modem is truly just acting as a modem. It's not acting as a router, and it's passing its IP address through to the airport extreme, and then the airport extreme is managing the network. Nothing wrong there. Uh, continuing, when the connection drops, I see an orange dot for internet in airport utility, but I'm still able to access the web page of my modem. When I log in, I get the impression that all is well. My cable provider also tells me all is fine. Nothing's wrong with the modem or the connection. It's a matter of them versus me. They can send a repairman when I pay the costs, but I don't think that's my problem. And sure enough, when the guy shows up, the connection will probably not drop out anyway, so we won't be able to test. Long story short, how can I troubleshoot the problem uh, and find out whether it's in my network or beyond my router? Some characteristics during such outage. As I said, I can get to the web page of the modem. Airport utility reports no internet connection. It all happens randomly. Sometimes no drop for an entire day. Sometimes two drops within 10 minutes. All computers lose their internet connection simultaneously. When I'm in a Skype call, I can usually hear the other person saying hello, hello for a few seconds. And then the problem drops out. 90% of the time, the connection comes back automatically. Sometimes the call even resumes if I'm on Skype. But usually I have to break it off and start a new call. Okay, so let's let's look at this, right? You're losing you're losing connectivity to the internet. You're clearly not losing anything on your local network because if you can get to the cable modem's web page during an outage, that tells me that everything in your network up and to the cable modem is working. So that's a good test, right? So 
something, it, it's one of three things, right? It's something's wrong with the cable connection between the modem and the head end causing things to be reset. Uh, it could be something wrong with the cable modem itself, or I guess because it's good to have three options, something could be wrong with your airport extreme, but I really don't think so because if that was the case, you couldn't get a connection to the web page of the modem. And here's the, here's the one little smoking gun for me, John, is that when a Skype call, Helma says she can usually hear hello, hello from the other side, but they can't hear her. And this tells me Skype calls are usually UDP packets, which means it's a stream. And really it's two streams, one coming in and one going out. And the two are not dependent upon one another. So it sounds like the upstream is being lost. And then the cable modem has to reacquire the upstream. There are two streams. There are two connections that your cable modem makes sometimes more than two. If you're on like a Doxis three connection or whatever, but effectively they can be categorized into two groups, the downstream and the upstream. When your cable modem syncs up, the first thing it does is it syncs up the downstream, the data that it's getting from the head end. Then it syncs the upstream, which is its ability to send data to the head end. Once those two are in sync, then it does some negotiation about what service level you should have. It sends a profile down to the modem. The modem uh, takes the profile and then boom, you're online. That's sort of the, the process. And it sounds like you're losing your upstream, which is not surprising. I would look uh, at the status page of your cable modem and see where your upstream numbers are. They should not be upstream is uh, rated in DBMV and it shouldn't be higher than technically. I think 55 is the highest, but really if you're anywhere near 50 DBMV, that's the amount of power your cable modem needs to generate to get a clean signal to the head end. Um, that that's bad. It, you know, if it, it should be in the you know mid forties, I, I think is, is okay. Uh, I've had it in the mid thirties, which is awesome. Um, right now, I think I'm in the 42 range and I'll put a link in the show notes to the, the show where we talked about cable modem taps versus splitters and all of that stuff that, that sort of sorts all this out. But that's uh, that's my thoughts. What do you think, John? Upstream, upstream. Oh, you're right. OK, look at those because mine are actually close to. Um... Oh, no. Yeah. OK. All right, I was looking at the wrong one here. So upstream. Yeah. In the 50s. Yeah. Mine are in the 50s. Are they really? <clears throat> yeah, but I haven't had the problem. But no, my thoughts on this are, are as follows. I agree with you in that So, whenever I've had the airport um, alert me that there's a connection problem. So here's a few things to do to verify this. So number one, um, look at the lights on your cable modem. At least mine, what would always happen and where I'd conclude that it was not my internal network and it was my cable provider is I would quickly rush to the cable modem. And there are a number of lights on the cable modem. Now mine has, I think about seven of them and in normal operation, they're all green and one of them is flashing. The thing is when the modem resets or needs to recalibrate or renegotiate its connection to the, the head end as uh, uh, Dave said, you're going to see those lights um, flashing in a different way. Now mine, I, I can actually see it building the connection is that I'll see all of the lights flash and then the first few will start flashing. They'll flash yellow saying, okay, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. 
and then they'll go green and then eventually the whole thing will go green. So check the modem. I'm thinking the modem is getting upset and you may visually be able to verify that. Number two is if you do go to the modem status page, as Dave said, you're going you're gonna to see uh, voltage levels or power levels, hopefully. Um, what you may also see, at least the one that I have, they have an event log, and that shows you whenever there's terrible things happening between the cable modem and the cable network. Like, I mean, mostly I see, I mean, I, I think I saw one where it had to renegotiate the, uh, you know, a, a lot of it is gibberish. I mean, if you see DHCP, that's probably normal in that it's grabbing a new address because mine actually did that recently. But you may see other messages that would suggest it's a hardware sh- issue as well. Um, and I see some things here, partial service, timing, synchronization, failure, things like that. So see if you can look at those. Um, now the third thing I'm trying to think of, Dave, I'm not, I'm not aware of anybody that does this for individuals, but I was thinking, oh, well, you know, do a, a ping test from somebody outside of your network and see if you disappear. Right. But I don't know. I found a few places that would do like, you know, five pings and stuff, but nothing yeah. that I'd be in a position to recommend. There, there are a few looks to be a free trial and then pay services that claim to be used uh, by enterprise level customers, which I don't yeah. know if anybody knows of a good service that does that uptime monitoring, you know, for personalized for your IP address. Uh, other than yeah. that, I'm, I, it, yeah, it almost sounds to me like marginal, and I think this is the direction you're, but marginal upstream power levels that require the, um, the resync of the thing. The, yeah. Is it, it's like, yeah, yeah, let, let, let's resync here and let's see if we can get a better signal. Yeah. Yeah. When it gets right, um, when they get to that, that, you know, what 55 number and some cable modems, it may be that you have, you know, interference on the line or, or too many things on the line and what, whatever it is. It's it, it, you're close to that number. Different cable modems do have different tolerances. Now, yours is brand new, probably not the cable modem, but it's possible that a different cable modem would be more tolerant of that. But still, if you're close to that, you know, if you're in the 50s and you're having these problems again, I'll, I'll rewind you. And we'll, we'll, we'll find that episode and I'll put it in the show notes because it was a, we had a great discussion about your options. But but really what it comes down to is splitters on your cable line add 3.5 db to each uh to to your your required upstream so if you can remove a splitter you just pulled three and a half db off of it if you can't remove a splitter there are things called taps taps look like splitters they act like splitters except instead of a a, like a splitter where it's 3.5 db on each side because you have to lose 7 db for each splitter for whatever reason uh, it's a tap is six on one side and one on the other. So you can strategically place these such that you've got your cable modem on, you know, a string of taps and it's losing a lot less along the line. I, that's what I did here. I was having exactly your problem. So again, we'll, we'll put links and, and, and get all that together for you because it, it's a, I don't want to rehash the discussion. We just had it. So, but it, it's, it's, it's definitely worth a listen. And also, especially this time of year, well, it could happen anytime. Yeah. Yeah. Place. Um, I'll mention in the past, I had problems when uh, there was a long run. So you may want to physically, if you can examine your cable, um, critters love to eat cable. I've seen it. Squirrel. Oh yeah. I don't know why. I don't know why they, why they think cable is so tasty. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> it is. It, it's one of those things that's tasty. Is but, it? Yeah. Weather. Okay, I haven't tried. I haven't tried some in a while. Weather can do it too, right? Heat or cold can can oh, sure. wreak havoc on these things. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, John. I want to. Uh, I want to talk about uh, our our second round of sponsors here for this show, if that's all right. Excellent. Our sponsor is Squarespace. It's squarespace.com/mgg makes it really, really easy for you to build your own website and host it all from within your web browser. You don't need extra software. You don't need anything. All you need is squarespace.com slash MGG. You go there and then you just pick out a template, any template you like. They have tons of them. You kind of narrow down by choosing what you want to do with your site. Do you want to build a blog for yourself? Do You want to build a store? You just want to host your pictures. What do you want to do? And then you narrow down, pick a template that resonates with you and you start putting your content in there. Whatever it is you want to do. It's super easy. I built a storefront for my band. We were having an event. We needed to sell tickets within an hour. I had the storefront created and published. I had the ability to take credit cards and I didn't use any stuff that I've done before. They take care of all of that right inside the web form and development environment that they've built called Squarespace. It's truly amazing how easy it is to build and manage and just run your own website. The sites look professionally designed because they are. Your skill level doesn't matter. They've built the site. Your content magically fits into it. The tools are really easy to use. You're doing it inside a web browser. It's what you've always done. They have state-of-the-art hosting so you don't need to worry about it. Your site's just always going to be up and running. Millions of people and some of the most respected brands in the world use it. Heck, I use it for my DaveTheNerd.com blog. Plans start at 8 bucks a month, and if you sign up for a year, you get a free domain if you do that. Here's the thing. Coupon code MGG saves you 10% off of that 8 bucks a month. So it really is inexpensive. Totally easy. You got to check it out. Squarespace.com slash MGG coupon code MGG saves you 10% Squarespace. Build it beautiful. Our thanks to Squarespace for sponsoring this episode. It's crazy to say it, but I actually like to shave. And I have to say that our sponsor Harry's at Harry's.com is responsible for that. They have created beautiful shaving products for ridiculously low prices. This stuff is fantastic. And I don't have to leave my home to get it. Sherry, Sherry's <laughs> Harry's ships the stuff to me and they'll ship it to you too. You can get a shaving kit with a handle, three blades and some either shave foam or shave gel. We'll talk about that in a minute. Shipped to you for 15 bucks. And that's before you heard this ad because Coupon code shave five off shave the number five O F F shaves five bucks off that price and free shipping. So 10 bucks and you've got their Truman set, which is a handle three blades. And these blades last forever. And I don't know if they want me to tell you this or not, but each one of their blades lasts me a month or more. It's awesome. And then either foam or gel. They've got a really nice, um, sorry, a cream or gel. They've got a really nice gel uh, that foams up nicely, but they're cream. That's the stuff I like. 
It's really smooth. This is what makes me love shaving. It's crazy to say. I know. But man, this stuff is fantastic. You got to check it out. Harry's.com. It's 10 bucks when all is said and done. That's it. You're not paying for shipping. They pay for that. And you save five bucks off the price listed on the website. Check it out. Harry's.com. Coupon code shave five off saves you five bucks. $10 is all it's going to cost you to get started with that Truman set. You're going to love shaving as much as I do. Our thanks to harrys.com. John, Billy writes, I need some advice. So we're going to help him. He says, I'm treading the waters of starting my own Apple repair and troubleshooting business. We've got a lot of folks who listen who do just that. He says, I have used Macs for quite a while, and much like the two of you, I'm typically known as the family and friends go-to tech guy. I've been doing a ton of upgrades on Macs lately and iPhone repairs, but I'm wondering about formal certification. I just recently got the Support Essentials certification, but I'm looking into the Apple program and wondering if the two of you thought it would be worth it. Thank you much. Of course, man. And congrats on your new endeavor, Billy. Uh, this is, I think it's awesome. I, I, I think it's great when anybody does uh, what they are good at and what they love and just ventures out on their own. It's, it's, I, I, I love it. As uh, you know, my life is a testament to that, right? Um, here's the thing about certifications. Uh, of which I have, you know, what's really funny, John, the only uh, related certifications that I have here is, is the, I have, I, I'm sure it's not current anymore, uh, but I was Microsoft certified. I was an MCSP. Uh, I, yeah, I was an MCSP. I never made it all the way to MCSE, but I did, I, I was an MCSP, which meant I had like four of the eight certs that I needed or something. Um, here's the thing about them. There's a there's there's there, there's two or three potential benefits as I see it. But I know we've got some folks in the in the chat room, even listening right now at MacGeekab.com slash stream that that do this for a living. And I would love to be able to share your thoughts as well here. So uh, training is one of the things that you might get, you know, as part of getting your certification, you, you're going to have to study and you might learn something new and valuable that will allow you to help your customers better. And that was definitely true at the time when I did like Windows NT and uh, networking training. I, I learned a ton that, you know, some of it I had learned sort of on the job, but, um, but it's nice to have this, you know, theoretical stuff, uh, theoretically. So, so that might be one thing. It's possible though, that you already know it all. And, and I don't say that to, to be, you know, like snarky, but you may go through the training and, or you may look through the book before you take the test and realize, mm, I already knew all this. Um, once you have your certification, Potential customers might feel more comfortable hiring you uh, because if you've got a certification from someone they trust, i.e., you know, Apple or Microsoft, that could uh, differentiate you from your competitors who are not certified. Right. So it's, it's that it, and that's really what certification says is we trust that this person knows how to do what they do. The certification, though, for anybody looking to hire someone or, or be hired, certification says nothing about your ability to actually help customers and be nice to them. Um, I feel like there should be customer service certification, but, uh, but I suppose that's the referral process is, uh, is the proof is in the pudding there. I, I digress. Um, and then of course, in addition to, you know, training and trust, there's a marketing advantage, uh, right? Some certification programs offer a referral service by letting potential customers search their database of, you know, I need help with my whatever, uh, you know, can I search and find someone local to me that you that has gone through your certification program? Right. And so you can get business that way. Uh, so 
you know, you got to look at those three things and compare them to any other benefits that you already have. Right. If, if you already have a huge stable of customers who trust you and are constantly referring you to other people and you have more work than you know what to do with, then what I would do is hire somebody and get them trained up and have them help you as opposed to spending your time getting certified. But if you're just getting started and you do need more business and you want to, you know, and people don't know you, uh, then the, the certification can really help. And, and all of that is out the window. If the training part of the certification would help you, if that would help, then absolutely do it because it never hurts to learn more stuff. So that's my feeling on it. What do you think, John? I agree. The training is good. Yeah. Yeah. Now, and I'll mention a few things here to, to compliment what you said. So you can get Apple training. Wow. Where, where do you think you should? I'm, I'm going to tell you where you should go. You should go to training.apple.com. That has training and certification information. And it also has, as Dave suggested, a way for you to find certified professionals. Because um, depending on what you're looking for, if you're looking for someone who is skilled in OS X server or whatever Apple product it is, um, I, I would prefer to have someone that has been trained um, rather than a generalist, have someone that's trained in it, you know? So I need to, and a lot of places you will see this looking for various certifications, um, you know, when they're looking, especially for it people, you'll see it. They're like, you know, uh, a plus certification or Microsoft certified or Apple certified, if that's the equipment you're working on. So, uh, certainly can't hurt. Uh, I'm not saying that there aren't people that are able to pick this up on their own without a certification. There sure. certainly are, but sure. I don't see any downside, whether it's, um, you know, getting a, a two year degree in the discipline, which, uh, you know, is part of what worked for me. In addition to get, getting some more, that's another, you know, nice way to get a general training in computer science or computer engineering. Um, you know, so don't rule that out, though. That can get pricey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, for me, it did not when we when you were talking to state school or tech school um, or even your local library or something like that. You know, uh, there, there are a lot of the, you know, mine just had Excel training, you know, someone who apparently does this and, you know, they would help you out with your Excel stuff. So I, you know, I'm going to your local community uh, for before you get ripped off, if you it, 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 and I and I I do feel very strongly about this. Um, our education system in this country is a, a mess, uh, especially higher education, in terms of it being way too expensive for a lot of the stuff that you can get. And I'll rewind back to our our sponsor earlier in in the episode, Linda. Right? If if you need to learn Excel, it's way cheaper to learn it via Linda. Than it is to go pay, you know, several hundred dollars or even several thousand dollars to learn this, uh, you know, in a classroom and you're going to learn it really well. So, uh, oh, sure. Well, well no, I, I, I certainly wouldn't suggest that you get a, uh, a two or four year degree if you want to do Excel. No, right. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. To be clear, if you want a general engineering or science training, it's totally. Um, yeah, totally different. So I would say most people that do uh, work on, on computers of various forms are a form of engineer or scientist. Um, yeah, you yeah, definitely. You're, just a, because that's, you're a solutions that's, engineer at that point. Absolutely. And you have to think like an engineer. Uh, you know, you have to have that what we call the troubleshooting mindset and honor the troubleshooting process. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 
So a degree long-term may make sense, but in the meantime, uh, teach yourself, as you said, Linda, or, you know, whatever, uh, you know, there are many ways to get training. Yep. Um, through the company itself, you know, like I mentioned Apple and I'm sure if you go to Microsoft and you want, you know, someone that's certified Microsoft, uh, whatever it is. Absolutely. Uh, you'll find that there as well. Yep. Brian, uh, Brian so, Monroe in our, in our chat room, uh, I know is a, this is what he does for a living. And he says he's not currently certified, but, uh, he also is just doing home clients, uh, and small businesses. He says specifically what he says is he does not do big corporate clients. When he did, he needed to be certified. So they wouldn't even consider him regardless of his skill or ability to, to solve the problem. They needed to see that stamp of approval. And I, I mean, I, I get that. Uh, sometimes it can be short-sighted because you, you might miss someone that's great, but you know, it, here's the thing. If, if you're great, it's not going to be that hard for you to get the certification. Right. And I realize you might be, you know, you might be taking the test with people who you feel uh, are, you know, at a different skill level or whatever. That's fine. That, you know, that part comes out later. Uh, go get the cert. If, if you need it for a specific client or type of client that you want to go after, there's nothing wrong with it. And the nice part is, you know, at the end of the uh, test, they, they ask for comments. So if you feel like you need to rant, you can rant there. So, you know, it's good, <laughs> but it doesn't hurt. Just don't obsess about it. Don't, you know, hone up on your customer service skills. Always remember that that's what's going to get you called back and that's what's going to get you referred. But to get you in the door of the first place, certs can really help. And like, like, I mean, like you said, John, it trains you too. You, you might, you might actually learn something. So it's good. Nothing wrong with that. All right. Um, yeah, let's move on to Sarah uh, and see what Sarah has to say here because uh, Sarah says, I'm now living in a rural area where power outages are more common than in town with storm season approaching. I'm thinking I really do need a UPS. I'm overwhelmed by the choices I see on Amazon and wonder if either or both of you have a recommendation on what a good, basic, safe UPS would be. What do you use? I've used various brands of UPS over the years and I am obsessed with UPSs. Um, rightly so. I've, I've, we have, you know, plenty of little power flickers and outages both here and when we lived in Austin, uh, by the way, so that's where I got started with my UPSs because we would, when when we had a consulting business where I was Microsoft certified, if there was a lightning storm one night, the phones would ring like crazy the next morning with people saying, "I can't get my computer to work." Yeah, we know the answer already. You know, it's dead. Uh, so a, a UPS can save your bacon, and they're not that expensive. I've used all kinds of different brands. Uh, I've always been really happy with APC. And I keep coming back to them for a few reasons. They make a good unit, right? I mean, there's no question about it. It works. Their batteries don't last forever. Nobody's do. So you either have to replace the batteries at some point or replace the unit. But that's normal. I've been through warranty slash damage claims. Uh, every UPS comes with a guarantee that the equipment plugged into it will not be harmed by uh, a you know power event. And I've had equipment harmed by power events that are on the other side of UPSs. There are some things that are simply unavoidable. Uh, I've only had it happen twice. Once was an APC unit and their warranty claim. You know, the way it works is you send them all the information and then they say, okay, uh, we've examined this. We admit no wrongdoing, uh, but we're going to send you a check for X because you know, the equipment that was damaged was this. We just need you to sign here that says you, you have no further claims on us. I mean, that's just how it works, right? And it's fine. And, and I did that. And then they sent me the check. It's great. Um, 
I've also had to do it with trip light, uh, almost exactly the same kind of scenario. And it was a disaster. They were looking for a way out at every single turn. So uh, I specifically don't re- recommend trip light just because it was, I, and I've, I've heard from others, the similar, a similar thing. I've only tried one thing with them, but I, that was all it took for me. Um, so, uh, the other nice thing about APC units is that they work by default with no extra software necessary with OS 10's energy saver. So you plug in a USB cable from your UPS into your Mac or into a hub. They seem to work fine with hubs. Uh, and it, it allows your Mac to know the status of the UPS, which is really handy because when you're on battery power, you have a limited amount of that, obviously, before your Mac is going to shut off. And when the UPS can communicate to your Mac that, hey, we're on battery power and we're still on battery power and, hey, I've only got 15% of my battery left, you can trigger your Mac to shut down nicely before the UPS just has to cut power from it. So that part's really nice. Uh, other other units also work with energy saver. APC aren't aren't the only ones, but um, they they certainly are well entrenched there, and that's that's a good thing. So I, again, I just come back to APC. They they make good stuff. Um, it's relatively it's priced fairly, is what I'll say. Um, and and there you go. That's my uh, that's my thing. So I don't know. What do you think? John? That's good. It's your thing. Yeah, it's you not use- my thing because I, I, I am I am not. I use surge suppressors, but I do not have any uh, uh, UPS. Okay, okay. But I also think it's nifty that it's kind of a hidden part of Energy Saver, and that you you'd never know there was a portion of Energy Saver that has to do with the UPS until you plug one in. Right, right. And then it just, all of a sudden, magically, just uh, appears, and uh, yeah, lets you view and set uh, a lot of the behavior. Yeah, it's pretty cool, right? You know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That's what I think. Now, speaking of... Now, this is actually uncool if we're going where I think we're Yeah, going. go. Take us to Rick. Please do. Yeah, so this is uncool, man. Oh, Rick. Ah, there we go. So Rick was wondering, and I was wondering too, so Rick says, over the years, I have developed or downloaded pieces of software that were placed into the system folders, such as slash user slash bin, which is slash USR slash bin. Uh, and that's one of the load level directories, which normally, um, unless you, you know, are into compiling and installing uh, Unix software, you probably don't even know they exist and nor, nor need you know that they exist. But if you're into writing running third-party things, uh, geeky pieces of software, then that'll probably happen. So Rick noticed something. I've installed El Capitan on a spare disk over a clone on my Yosemite install. Once booted in, I found that all of these pieces of software were removed. I know about system integrity protection, but turning it off would not bring back that software. The question, is there a way of installing it where it will not remove my software? I think I know the answer. I'm hoping you have an answer. And I have a great answer, Dave. It didn't remove it. It just moved it. <laughs> right? Yeah. No, you're totally and how right. How do I know this? I know this because rather than my digging through the innards or you digging through the innards of uh, El Capitan, Dave, I decided to look at the what I think is a dandy, well written, <laughs> easy for you to well say, spoken, <laughs> well written review from our friends at Ars Tech 
Technica. Mm-hmm. Right? Did you see their write-up? I, I thought I it was a darn good write-up. Yep. One of the reasons I'm going to say it's a very good write-up is that it addresses this exact question in the system integrity protection chapter. And they basically say, so um, guess what? If you have anything in slash system or slash bin or slash USR or slash SBIN, that stuff's all going to be moved to slash library slash system migration slash history slash migration dash some gobbledygook slash quarantine root. And sure enough, Dave, when I looked there, I saw a whole bunch of stuff. So it's all moved. So no, they didn't delete it. They should have probably told you that they were doing this, right? Wouldn't that have been a swell thing during install? Hey, by the way, I found all the software and I'm all, all going to move it so you can't find it anymore. You know, so I, <laughs> to be fair, I haven't looked in that folder, but I also have installed things. I, I use Homebrew, right? Uh, which is a, mm-hmm. a package manager for OS 10. We'll put a link in the show notes. It makes things really easy when I need to install stuff like FFmpeg in order to, you know, transcode mm-hmm. videos or whatever. I type brew space, install space, FFmpeg, and boom, it puts it out of my system, but it puts it in user bin. And I expected none of that stuff to work. Most of that stuff was still there after in user bin after my upgrade. <sighs> But some of it didn't work. It shouldn't be. Yeah, I had to repair. I had to do a a repair on my homebrew install. um, Mm -hmm. And then I had to do things like, like I could do transcoding, but it would fail at the end. Like it was looking for a library that didn't exist or something. So I, uh, for any homebrew users out there, the way I fixed each of my packages was I did brew space, reinstall space, FFmpeg or whatever the package was. And that put it all back out there, which in, in like, in user bin. So I don't know. I don't know why. No, I think they may be doing a redirection or something. I'm going to tell you, Dave. Yeah. Cause here's what the review also says. It says, so one, oh, there's going to be that migration. Homebrew puts it in user local bin. And that might be the difference, John. And that's exactly why. Okay. Because yeah, you, you, you stole my thunder. Sorry. Which I stole from ours technical. <laughs> okay. But the answer, you are correct, Dave is items in slash library home slash library slash user slash local or slash applications will be spared. That's why my apps would run, but couldn't find the libs that they had announced out there. For example, one thing that you and I like to run, Dave, and I'm almost certain I either compiled it or installed it. Yeah. um, Is iperf. Guess where iperf lives in slash user slash local. So, okay. Okay. Packet. It sounds like so, uh, package managers will need to adapt to this new behavior because well, they before, should have been doing that anyway, to be yes. honest. And and I think well, some was. may have. Yeah. And the thing is, but some other ones may have been scattering things about Absolutely. In those directories that yeah. we were talking about. And not so Apple is just enforcing enforcing. If you're going to install your own stuff, put it in slash user slash local. Yeah. Guys who've already done that, you, you, you'll be able to run their stuff. Like I did. I ran iPerf after the migration and it worked fine on both my machines because it was in a good spot. Yeah. So, yeah. And it didn't need so a library. Yeah. Right. So whatever you're yeah. using. So number one, you may be able to take, so looking quarantine route, that's where your stuff is. Now you may be able to move it into user local, that seems to be the best place and yep. see if it runs from there. Yep. Um, if it does, yay. If not, then yeah, you may have to re you may have to make sure your package manager is 
up to date so that it puts stuff in the right place. Right. So yeah, initially I was like, oh, you know, I was like, wow, he's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. all gone. Where did it's it go? Gone. So, yeah. Very nice that review. They touched. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Got it. I like it. Because yeah, if they just deleted it, I would have been very angry. That's that's just rude. Yeah, we saw this when we all upgraded to Yosemite too, right? There was there anything that was was custom installed in the user directory caused, or if you had anything installed in uh, custom installed in the user directory, including including like homebrew packages and that sort of thing, it would cause one part of the Yosemite installer to take forever. So, like migration assistant would take just forever, right. right? And and it was it was like, dude, you're moving like you know three megs worth of files. <laughs> what is this? But it, I don't know. It had to go through whatever it was, but yeah. So this is, yeah, anyway. All right. Um, we've got a couple of tips to share, John, and I want to see if we can, I want to see how many of them we can get through. So first, uh, Juan sends in this great tip. He said, uh, as soon as I installed El Capitan, I was cursing for five minutes because I couldn't install three finger drag. Uh, and then he found a link from I download blog that shows that you can do a three finger drag in El Capitan. Uh, it is the, the, um, the, the, what do I call it? The, uh, the, the, the option for it. Yes. Is in accessibility now. So it used to be in system preferences trackpad, but now you have to do the, go to uh, system preferences, accessibility, mouse and trackpad, uh, trackpad options and then you get enable dragging and you can do it without drag lock with drag lock or with three finger drag uh, three finger drag is pretty awesome I had never used it before until I got this tip from Juan it, you, if you have a uh, you know a trackpad on your on your laptop or a, a magic trackpad from Apple put three fingers down and it will let you drag a window around without you know having to click and select and, and all that stuff it's actually it's really it's really kind of cool. I feel kind of silly not having uh, ever done that. So thanks, Juan. Not only for uh, telling us where it is now, but for telling us about it entirely, which is uh, which is really helpful. Jason writes in in 571. We were talking about preparing uh, our data for when we are no longer here and we want our families to have access to it and all of that good stuff. Uh the productivityist has created something called the last password or the last, sorry, the one password emergency kit. And it's up to version three. It's just a PDF that you would store. Uh, you would fill out first, of course, and then store it in your, uh, you know, in your um, safe or safe deposit box or with your will or whatever. And it lists kind of all those passwords that you might, uh, that other people might need. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes too. I know it's not a fun topic, but you know, it's, um, it's something to think about. So thank you for sending that along. That's great stuff. Next on the tips list. Yes, we're going quickly here because we want to bill has, uh, well, bill has this to say. Good morning, geeks. This is bill Been long listening to your show for a while. Love it. Listening to five seventy two this morning talking about unlocking your iPhone with Sprint. I was able to unlock my iPhone 6 for international unlock only, as they called it, as I was traveling to Europe and I wanted it unlocked. They, uh, they did that for me, and it worked fine. In China, I was able to put a SIM in and it worked fine as well. Have a great day. 
Thanks, Bill. That's uh, that's helpful stuff. It is worth calling your carrier and seeing if they want to be reasonable people. Uh, they may not be 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 ready for that, but uh, at least with Sprint, Bill was uh, Bill was able to get them to un somewhat unlock. I didn't even realize they could do an international unlock, so that's it's handy. Good to know. Thank you for that. We will try that. Uh, Kiaran, Kiaran, I think I'm saying that right. Had a problem downloading El Capitan and it stopped. Uh, there was an internet connection issue or something had to reboot. Internet connection failed during the, the download of El Capitan. So when the internet connection came back up, went to uh, the app store, went to downloads to resume the download. Uh, when Kiaran clicked resume, got the follow, got a screen that said uh, kind of downloading or waiting to download and it never went and he was stuck. That's not good, John. Well, have you ever been stuck with a download on iOS? What you can do is go to the icon on the uh, home screen and tap it. And that'll put it into paused mode and then tap it again. And it puts it into download mode. Turns out you can do the same thing in OS 10 in the launch pad. So you go to the launch pad and you'll see the upgrade thing for El Capitan there. And it'll be un incomplete and you Click it and it'll go to paused and then click it again. It'll go to waiting and then downloading and it'll start to resume. So that same feature that works in iOS with tapping on the home screen works in Launchpad. I never would have thought to try that. Brilliant. And, uh, and Dave, that actually saved me from going insane. Did it really? That's awesome. <laughs> because I had on one of my machines a partial download of the uh, El Capitan GM. Yeah. And it was a partial download and it, it showed in a category in the app stores, like other purchased hardware, but the only option was to resume the download Yeah, and it wouldn't let me hide it. So it was taunting me because it would keep appearing there. And this tip worked as well, Dave. Sweet. So I went in the launch pad and I saw the partial download when I held down the alt key um, or the option key. I saw a little X next to it. I clicked on the little X to delete it, and then it didn't show up in my app store anymore. So it's also good for getting... Uh, yeah, because I, I think it was just in a weird state because it was kind of a special download. You know, from... from uh, well, again, it, it put it in a category I hadn't seen before, I guess, because it was, you know, from the, the developer uh, site. You know, it was a code yeah. that I redeemed oh, to right. download this. Right. But, right. But, so it wasn't... A normal piece of software, which again, the way to you know hide those is you should be able to right click on them and, and say hide, but this didn't allow that. So that tip actually helped me clean up my act. So I won't get upset seeing this partial download that I can't get rid of. And that's how it works. And I believe I'd love to keep going. I'm having a blast today, but uh, and I hope you are too, folks. But uh, all good things must be put on pause. We will resume this next week. So... That's all good. I said it once during the show. I'll say it again. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com is where you're going to send your stuff in. And because you said it twice, Dave, I'm only going to say it one more time. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Uh, indeed. We would love to hear from you. If you want to call us with anything, questions, tips, cool stuff found, we're going to be doing more cool stuff found. You know, it's the holiday season, so there's lots of cool stuff coming. I have, actually, I have an entire review of the new iPad mini four that I wanted to do today. Obviously that's not going to happen. So that'll happen next week. I will tell you all about it. Uh, the, the teaser 
It's awesome. I'll tell you why next week. There's all kinds of stuff coming. Send it in to us. Call us. 206-666-GEEK. Which, John, is? 4335. Visit us on Facebook. We had listener Sally in the chat room today saying uh, uh, she felt like she needed a technology degree just to manage the internet at her house. And, uh, and, and while that wouldn't hurt, it's not necessary. You just need to f- be able to find people that can help you. That's what we do here on this show. It's what we've been doing. It's our entire mission on this show. But we've expanded it, and we let everybody that wants to help or can help, help as well. Our Facebook group is a perfect incarnation of that. So visit us. Go to MacGeekGab.com slash Facebook, and that will get you there. There are tons of people. Frankly, they answer the questions faster than John and I can there. Uh, but it, it's it, it's humbling, and, and it, it really does bring a tear to my eye how awesome uh, that group is. Everybody's just helping each other and it's fantastic. So, MacGeekUp.com slash Facebook. Please, please visit us there. Cashfly.com is the company that provides all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. Our thanks, our sincere thanks to them. They've been working with us for a long time as well. Our podcast marketplace includes, of course, as we mentioned in the, sh- in the show, Harry's at harrys.com. Shave the number 5 OFF and that gets you five bucks off there squarespace.com coupon code mgg saves you 10 percent on your first order linda at lynda.com slash mgg saves you gets you 10 free days of their awesome videos pdf pen 7 from smile at smilesoftware.com slash geek gazelle at gazelle.com tunnelbear at tunnelbear.com slash mgg saves you 20 percent imazing.com slash uh, coupon code mgg saves you 20 percent and visit our friends at maxsales.com and barebones.com because they are awesome too john you brought us in here bring us out with three luscious words of advice <laughs> luscious i don't know if they're luscious luscious i could make them luscious I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna spit them out, and that's not very luscious, is it? But um, yeah. Once you spit them out, don't. I'm gonna follow them up with with three other words too. <laughs> but the three words are don't get caught. We gotcha. Made up.